Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, you're in for quite the pleasant surprise. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Now, in a moment, Michael Hillard joins us live. He is the host of the Red Line Podcast. The Red Line Podcast is a Perth-based podcast that provides specific briefings on some of the most pressing geopolitical issues that aren't being focused by the mainstream media. Michael shares how his podcast is the product of his own experiences of actually traveling to unstable and war-torn countries to speak to the everyday people on the ground to understand their point of view. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Now, without further ado, let's bring in the boys. Yes. And we got cut off there. And we got cut off there, boys. But now we are back. I do apologize to everyone listening live. It seems like Streamlabs sort of um, paused there for a moment. I apologize. But yes, gentlemen, we are live and direct here. And we were just discussing amongst ourselves without the listeners out there knowing that all of us are named Michael. So we're going to do our best here um, yet again. And of course, Mike, we will refer to you as Mike. And um, 
Michael, we will know exactly who you are because you have that great accent. Yes, that uh, that filthy Australian accent that unfortunately has uh, uh, you know afflicted me for my entire life. Yes, we love that filthy accent of yours, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, it's not that filthy. It's it's pretty good, I promise. So, Michael, well, I, I will take your uh, I'll take your word for it. Word. So, Michael, thank you so much for spending some time with us here. And I know it's um, what time is it out there in Australia exactly? Uh, it's nine thirty in the morning of here on the Saturday morning. Oh my God! I woke you up. <laughs> that's all right that's not good but regardless here we are and i definitely want to also credit you for your podcast it's very good it's very insightful thank you uh well you know <laughs> i'm not the smart person in the podcast we just have a lot of experts you know cia harvard oxford mi6 uh the white house uh, the british government um you know everyone all the smart people come on the show and they just give their opinion i just i just ask some questions and uh yeah just have a chat with them well that's the best way to do it yeah yeah so far it's been pretty good uh we just crossed our a uh, hundred thousand listens, a hundred thousand subscribers uh, on uh, Sunday. We're very happy. Very good. And I see Mike has joined us. Mike, what happened yes. back there? Yeah, I'm sorry. You know what? Uh, you got to remember who you're talking to here. I am completely computer illiterate. Uh, so I was wondering why I kept getting a really huge echo every time you were speaking. And it was because I had YouTube open and Skype. So there I was getting the, the live feed <laughs> with the uh, repeated feed from YouTube. So it's all good now. Nice. Just uh, excuse my – yeah, you would think that I would know how to do things like this, you know, having been a musician. but Yeah, no worries. So, Michael, tell us more about what's going down in Australia, how COVID-19 has affected you guys out there. So this COVID-19 thing is absolutely huge. It's everywhere. And this will be probably the event that shapes our decade for, you know, at least just one decade. You know, last time that society went into a global pandemic such as this was Spanish flu. Um, and that Spanish, <coughs> Spanish flu effectively, you know, changed the trajectory of the entire world politically for about two decades. Um, it skewed politics. It destroyed economies. Uh, and this one is, is going to be particularly nasty. I don't know if it will be as nasty as Spanish flu. Um, but here in Australia, we're a little bit behind everyone. Being an island, uh, we haven't quite hit the case numbers that you guys have, but we are very rapidly, I would say by probably Tuesday, we'll be going into lockdown. Like wow. right now, we're not locked down, um, but we will be heading that way to try and contain this thing. Uh, but the economic ramifications have already been very dramatic. But you know, Australia, Australia is getting out of this fairly light compared to a lot of nations. The US, Turkey, uh, the UK, Italy will all suffer very, very harsh numbers coming up in the next few weeks. Yes, we are already number one in the world for COVID nineteen cases, and it's are we? We sure are. Yep. We already surpassed China. Oh, holy crap! Yeah, I'm not. You quite, know, uh, just if mm -hmm. I may, just add, uh, Michael. Um, Michael Hillard, uh, when you mentioned about the Spanish flu, I'm assuming you were talking about the 1910 epidemic. So the the first wave of Spanish flu actually comes from, from about 1917, 1918. We don't okay. know exactly, um, but it comes in three waves. You have this first wave where it's believed it was actually started in Kansas, that kind of area of the country, and it came over with the American soldiers fighting World War One. 
Right. Uh, the difference why it's called Spanish flu is because when during that era everyone had censorship because of the war, so the French papers didn't talk about it, the German papers didn't talk about it, the British papers didn't talk about it, but the Spanish papers did because they, obviously they were neutral in the war and they didn't have the censorship. So you had no news reports of this amazing flu coming through except in Spain. So everyone called it the Spanish flu. It has this huge spike in 1918, 1919, and then right. it dies, and then it comes back in 1920 and goes for an even bigger spike. And then it dies, and it comes back again in twenty three, and then it dies. You know, it's, it's it's three waves of Spanish flu, effectively. Good times, Red Mike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the reason I had brought it up is because you had mentioned how um, you know it was a devastating uh, pandemic at the time, and you're absolutely right. The one thing I wanted to point out was that at that time in uh, the world's history, we were only at about one point five billion people worldwide. Now. If there were to be – like, don't get me wrong. This is serious. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying if we were, ha were to have a, an outbreak that was uncontrollable pandemic, could you imagine how many more people would probably uh, get infected in addition to the fact that we didn't have planes and air travel back then? We only had boats and trains and automobiles. Now, I mean – it it just the 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 chances of getting infected or infecting others and spreading are just so much more greater. So there's there's pros and cons with this. I mean, the, on the pro side, you know, we've got you know we are better educated now. Remember when the Spanish flu came through last time? We were coming out of a, a the Great War. You know, everyone was thrown around and nothing made sense. So we're better educated. We have a better medical system, and we have good information that can quickly get out to people with things like Twitter and Facebook and and you know all that kind of us. But right. we are, but we are heavily reliant on antibiotics. Uh, in fact, quite uh, a few Western countries, particularly, uh, take antibiotics fastly regularly, as most as WHO would indicate. Uh, our travel is is much more. You know that's why this disease. You know, Spanish flu crept. It took you know almost a year to get from France to Australia, but this time it's taken you know just a couple of weeks. Um, right. We also, you know, we are, there's a lot more people and we're a lot more dense, um, as in densely packed, you know, you know, frankly, the population was a lot lower. We spread out a bit more. Um, now we're more densely packed and that does help diseases spread quite quickly. Uh, right. so there are pros and cons on this one. So, and you said you guys are doing like fairly decent down in Australia. It depends. It's a, it's a very much a state issue. Like I'm on the West coast, which is very isolated. So, you know, in Australia, so the West coast, um, you know, from more where I am to Sydney would be about the same distance as LA to New York. Um, right. even our nearest state capital is the same distance as I think it would be about, uh, LA to Houston would be about the distance as the nearest state capital for us. Um, it's quite large areas We're like in my state, it's not community community yet, which means it's still contained in the hospitals and people coming from overseas, but it's only a matter of time before that containment breaks. Right. Um, I, f I find the most interesting thing is because I sit on I sit on the foreign policy councils here and a few think tanks and whatnot. And I remember getting my first briefing on coronavirus in early February, so it was quite early in the pandemic stage. Um, and the biggest threat we were all facing was, oh well, our tourism numbers are going to drop by sixteen percent, and universities <clears throat> university membership is going to drop by about twelve. And that was the biggest threat. That was what we were all panicking about. We were all thinking, oh well, how can we get the Indians to you know and more Indians to come into university this season or, you know, that was the biggest threat. It's insane how quickly this thing went from a, our tourism numbers might be affected to a, oh my God, this is, this is the biggest event of the decade. Say that again. It's pretty wild. Hmm. And going back to 
America being number one in the world for COVID-19 cases, which did surpass China. I just wanted to quickly mention, it's ridiculous that we have already surpassed China, which actually has more than four times as many people as the United States. I mean, I, I think we could blame our healthcare system now for that, partially. Well, it's a little more complicated. So effectively, when it comes to fighting a contagion like this, there are two strategies. There's one called contagion. Uh, sorry, there's one called herd and there's one called containment. So containment, which is the strategy used by the Australian government, uh, now most of the European governments in Italy, is we try and isolate people. We try and keep people in their houses and stop this disease bouncing around. Because if we can stop it, keep everyone isolated, then the disease burns itself out naturally. That's what China did. They locked everyone down and contained. Uh, containment is has its pros and cons uh, because of the fact that, yes, less people get the virus. Uh, yes, it doesn't put as much strain on the healthcare system. But it means that people don't become immune and it means that in, uh, let's say, you know, we get through this thing, we pat ourselves on the back and say, congratulations, we did it, um, you know, and everyone goes back to normal in six months. Then one person comes over from, let's say, China with the virus again and we start the whole process again. Uh, the, the US, so guys like Mexico, the Netherlands and a few countries are starting to go with the other strategy, which is called herd immunity, uh, which is, has its pros and cons as well. So herd immunity is effectively letting everyone get the disease as quick as possible. Um, right. because remember, most people will be very low symptoms. Most people will just get along fine. Uh, and if you can get about 65 to 70% of your population getting the disease, the disease can't bounce around. Right. It, does, it doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't, you know, it can't really, that's how, uh, you know, vaccinations work. Because if enough people are immune, the disease can't bounce around very easy and it just burns itself out looking for new hosts. The bad bit about that, though, is that you have to be willing to know that a lot of people will die, particularly as the fact that the hospitals get overrun because this whole thing goes very, very quickly. Um, so hospitals go from having the amount of beds to be able to help people to we're just going to take the, one, the easy cases that we think we can save and everyone else good luck. Effectively, the projection numbers that I last looked at uh, were suggesting that if that is a strategy you guys go with, you will be over this thing and you won't get reinfected and you'll be out of the woods in about three months, uh, probably maybe even a little earlier. But you have to be willing to side off that seven to eight a million Americans will die. Right. That's the trade off on, on, on the two options. Also, Vic, something in the chat room brings up a great point. Blame stupid people for that, for all the cases here in America, which... I have to say, that's a pretty good point. Lots of people out there doing uh, the dumbest things. Some people believe that the virus is a hoax and all of, all of these <laughs> things are lies. I, I mean, I really can't <laughs> believe the stupidity of a lot of people out there. I really feel like slapping the shit out of those people, to be honest. <laughs> it, it, I think the biggest one, I went to a, a liquor store over here in Australia and all the beer was gone except for Coronas. Uh, <laughs> Except what do for you, the corona. What do you guys think? What what do both you guys think about this this option of um I forget what what Michael Hillard said uh, about what was it hoard hoarding so, hurt hurt, hurt, hurt hurt I'm hurt. sorry sorry my accent's went off yes hurt. no 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 that was my fault I, I did hear you the first time I, I forgot what it was so so what do you guys both think about that do you think it's a good idea that to to force everybody into actually getting well not force but to, to, you know to recommend everybody gets the the disease. Or the virus, and then we become a little bit more immune to it and able to fight it. Or is it better to just completely sequester ourselves? I mean, there's again, there's so many pros and cons. I think the aim of most governments is that if hopefully if they can contain it and get it as a low thing, the hospitals don't break, and then hopefully we have a vaccine before the second wave comes. 
because if we can vaccinate most people, then yeah, we can so we can get this herd immunity without losing that many million people. And it, I think the political ramifications also have to be taken into account. For instance, Boris Johnson, of, of who now has coronavirus himself, weirdly enough, uh, was Surprise. planning on this strategy. He was planning on letting the UK get it as quick, as quick as possible and going for it. But the moment he, he was kind of like, we're going herd, he, he, amid, the backlash was tremendous because people were like, well, I'm not particularly happy with 3 to 4% of the UK population dying. Um, right. it's, a pretty, it's a pretty tough sell. Uh, I, I don't know how you could do it effectively in a exactly. Western government. What, what do you think, Mike D? Well, to be honest with you, I think I probably already had it a couple months ago. You really? I probably, I was, I was, I was out for a bit there and I felt like I had some of the symptoms, not even joking here, but I didn't have okay, shortness right. of, of breath or anything, but I did have the headache and the fever and I did have a mild cough. Do you think you could have had a regular flu? It's possible. Sure. But I mean, for that's three, what I felt for like three, in, in early January, mm-hmm, but for three days though. I don't know any flu that lasts that long. Well, that short, rather. Well, well, here, here's here's a weird thing. I don't know if I told you this, but in early January, shortly after the the first of the year, I got terribly sick. I mean, I had to go to the hospital. I was so sick, Ooh. and um, I ended up having flu A with strep throat. And it, la- I was out on the couch for four days. I was down for the count, and you know, this is obviously before the corona or Chinese flu hit us. And, um, I, you know, I was like, I thought later on, gee, I wonder, could I have had it? But I mean, I, I I'm a little bit more, we never in, know. In a, in you a, weren't tested for well, COVID-19 thing, either. Here's the thing, Michael. I, yeah, but, but the thing is I have a, an, uh, my immune system is compromised. It due sure to the fact is. That I've, yeah. I've gone through a number of times having had cancer, blah, right. blah, blah. So had I really had it, I think I would have, you would have been you know, out more. I would have. Exactly. I would have been in the hospital and who knows what would have happened. Oh, probably you just had a mild case, Mike. Probably. I mean, they, they said it was flu A with strep throat. Hmm. You know, it also reminded me of the time when everybody was, well, not everyone, but those who were vaping were dropping like flies as well. I'm wondering if perhaps mm-hmm. they were maybe even positive for COVID-19. You never know. It's possible, I guess. The, the, the vaping uh, predates. So the vaping was about November, October. And remember, the first cases we have of COVID-19 appear in a Chinese wet market in southern Wuhan. Uh, and they're estimating around December 14th is a breakout point. Oh, my. And you've been out there at, at some of these wet, uh, wet shops before. Yes. So a wet market is... You know, it's a very, very odd place. So I spent some time in, in places like Iran and China and all over some, a lot of war zones and whatnot. But wet markets are particularly weird. Uh, the majority of the Chinese population don't like them. They, particularly after SARS broke out from a wet market, the Chinese population said, no, 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 ban this. This sucks. It's only the very small tippy top 1% percentile of uh, the upper crust that actually likes these wet markets because, the, you know, there's some superstition in there. You know, there's, you know, a belief that if you eat pangolin, you can, you, 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 it, it prevents disease. You know, that if you eat tiger, it will give you the strength of a tiger. Oh, so such these, nonsense. You know, it's, all, it's all nonsense, but, you know, right. that's, you know, yeah. So effectively, the ultra-rich of the country have lobbied the party to say, let's reopen these wet markets. They're originally, if we go way back in the 60s, wet markets were, were brought in because they didn't have enough food and rice. So they started, you know, ha- uh, farming bats and bears and whatever they could to try and feed, <laughs> feed the populace. But now it now it's just a delicacy. Now, the trouble is, right. you know, I was walking around this wet, wet market is they have these cages that are stacked Ugh. on top of each other. 
oh. with no uh, like a slatted bottom. So effectively, what happens is you know whatever animals on the top is just you know part of my French, but pissing and, and shitting all over the bottom, oh. and it just goes down the chain. And oh. by the looks, by the estimates, I, I got sent pretty early in this thing. It's looking like it was an infected, diseased bat uh, excreting on onto the cage blot, which is an infected, diseased pangolin, uh, which someone then ate. Uh, and again, a bat and a pangolin would almost never cross paths. Never. The only place that probably would is a Chinese wet market. China, exactly. Uh, or pa- Pakistan or Pakistan, India, they also have wet markets, but they're not nearly as prevalent as the Chinese are. But they're um, not eating bats either, are they? Bats are quite common in Africa, uh, particularly West Africa. Uh, and, it's okay, why we, and it's why we saw Ebola break out there as well. I'll, I'll give it – yeah, I'll give it to Africa. But I mean oh, – I, I don't know. I, I mean maybe we're just um, – a little uh, – we think of ourselves as being a little bit more elite because we only eat cows and pigs and chickens. But in China, you're eating snake you're and, eating you're eating and dog and yeah. cat and, and bat. And I mean it's just you're eating all really sorts of effed shit. up. Yeah. It's, it's not great. Um, but it's – you know, it, if prepared properly, like there are some lovely – you know, you go to you know, some lovely <laughs> restaurants in France and Japan and they'll, they'll serve you the weirdest things and you go, fantastic, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> when they're in a cage, infected and Ooh. sick, and out in the open, and you know, because effectively the first forty-one cases all came from this. They all spent time in this um, wet market, uh, and twenty-one of them all ate at this one soup stand. In so we can almost get down to the pinpoint of where this disease broke out in Wuhan. And by the way, someone's calling in right now. I do have them on hold. Uh, hopefully, they turn down their stream there because i think i could hear it in the background uh caller what's going on are you out there yeah they need to turn down their stream yeah i'm sorry i can't put you on my goodness that's one of the uh, golden rules boys and girls you're gonna if you're gonna call into this program you have to uh, turn down the stream or else we're gonna have a really bad echo Polar, just call back and turn down your your uh, your your volume. I had to um, hang up on them. Real sorry. quick, I got to go ahead. I, I, yeah, that's why I said call back. Real quick question for both of you. Um, so I was recently told that. Uh, all right, keep in mind we've been using the term Spanish flu, okay? right? Right. Because that's what it was called for about a hundred years. Okay. I've been told now that it is racist to call the flu the Chinese flu, as if. As if we were calling the people, you know, like blaming the people for the flu. Can you can you believe that? Oh, I could believe it. Some people just want to be mm-hmm. outraged about anything, to be honest. Worrying about racism is the least of everyone's concerns in America and around the world uh, currently right now, in my opinion. It's um, pretty asinine, but a lot of people don't have common sense, Mike. You know that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, it's a really interesting book uh, I, I loved when I read it called The Bell Curve. And effectively, it just it kind of shows you how a lot of media works. So the guys who, when they go, oh, pe- people are saying that this is racist, it's usually just one nut job on Twitter right. way to the left of everyone else. <laughs> and when people say, you know, all Trump supporters are Nazis, it's usually yeah. just a couple of nut jobs on the very, yeah. very right. The majority of people don't care. Like, the, you know, the interesting thing is obviously, you know, you, you go to look at the election, like, oh, gay marriage is the big thing or, you know, trans rights is the big thing on this election. And then we go door knocking and we go door to door and, and you know, actually ask people what is the biggest thing in this election. It's always power bills, feeding my family, uh, workers' rights, you know, pretty middle of the road stuff. So, yeah, whenever I hear someone say, oh, people are outraged that it's, this is racist. It's like, well, it's probably just a few people on Twitter. You know, you know I'll worry about it when it becomes a big thing. Mr. Um, Hillard, you're absolutely correct. 
yeah, I, I don't give much time to people, you know, again, like I do the red line, we do deep dives into big topics and, you know, whether it be like the war in Yemen or Afghanistan or private militaries. And every week I have someone call me a fascist or someone call me a communist or someone call me a CIA plant or someone call me a Moscow plant. So I, I don't, <laughs> I don't care what, what the fringe people say anymore. I just go, yeah, sure. I work for the CIA. Cool. That's whatever. It, it's good that you have that attitude because you're absolutely right. People, they focus on some of the stupidest things at times. And, you know, it's like they've got this, I'm better than you because I'm politically correct. And, and I, I, I don't, you know, no one's singled out. That, that blows my mind. They just they think they're better than everybody else. And that's not. It's not right, but I'm glad you have that attitude. Thank you. I would have to blame social media, like uh, Michael mentioned here. That has been sort of the problem because people now believe everything they read, no matter what platform Mm -hmm. they're on. They simply read the headline and they echo that same bullshit out to everyone. Yeah. Same with the mainstream news. Pretty much. I mean, this is social media is now a weapon. So I just did a big piece on um, and I've spent a lot of time in Russia. And there's an amazing place they call the IRA, the Internet Research Agency, with effectively the Russian troll farms. Um, you know, some of the work they can put out to manipulate social media is amazing. Like we found out that a lot, some of the far, far left, you know, Black Lives Matter pages were run by Russian trolls, and some of the <laughs> far right, you know, as American, expected, you know, Amer- American Patriots Unite kind of stuff was run by far right trolls. I mean, the best, the interesting one is Russia's putting so much disinformation out about coronavirus at the moment that you know they put out a story saying that if you hold a hairdryer in your mouth. <laughs> five minutes it will dry out it killed three women in belgium wow just take coronavirus and, and, and there's so much misinformation wow. my office i was i was chatting with the minister for health the other day and he was saying his office is getting flooded with things like oh i saw on facebook if i gargle with bleach that could solve the problem oh my god um, you know there's just oh so much god. misinformation out there and it's it's so hard to dig through um, yeah, and it's always interesting to watch if you go to news sites and then try and find the IP address, a lot of them will route straight back to Russia. Wow. And going back yeah, what a- and going back really quickly here to the wet shops or the wet markets. I like to call them wet shops. I'm not quite sure why. But the wet markets, when was the last time you were actually in one, Michael? It would have been Two years ago, I was Two in years Beijing, ago. Okay. Um, and I, no, about a year and about a, 18 months ago, I was in Guangzhou, um, which is in the southeast, near not too far from Shenzhen, which is kind of near Hong Kong. Um, but yeah, it, it, the ones in Beijing are there for the, the elite. Um, mm. So you get a lot of assistance buying stuff for their, for their boss's boss's boss kind of thing. Wow, okay. It's still really filthy. There's a smell about it that you'll never mm-hmm. – it will haunt my nightmares forever, that smell. Yeah, it's terrible seeing all these animals so stacked uh, and close together here, especially when you have to consider uh, these animals are, are um, their immune systems are all compromised already, just being in there, being stressed out completely. And that leaves them wide yes. open for all sorts of diseases. Right. Terrible. Yeah, it's, it's the worst possible case scenario. Um, you know, how we haven't had one breakout sooner than this, I have no idea. Do you think it's time to close these things down everywhere? Of course. And the, the, the Chinese government has already said no more wet markets. We're going to permanently ban it this time. Done. Because remember, they banned it after SARS because everyone knew that's where it came from. And it was only heavy lobbying from some very high up members of the party and, and Politburo that actually got it back over the line for their donors. Um, now it is banned again. But let's see how long that lasts. Because, again, we, we banned it in, two, in 2002. 
The thing is, I think, in my personal opinion, uh, you know, I don't, I've never been to China, but they've been, they've, haven't they really been eating just about everything for a very long time? So there's, there's a stereotype that comes here from what was effectively in the, the, you know, Mao had this thing called the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution, and the, particularly the Great Leap Forward went particularly badly. You know, they were planting strains of rice that didn't work. They gave workers that had no idea what they were doing, a lot of resources, and the whole country was starving to death. Um, particularly as Mao was so intent on putting out that, you know, this is our food output, we can export all this stuff and make money, and, and, and they're desperately in need for foreign uh, foreign cash reserves, that people were starving to death. So people would go, okay, well, I need to feed my family. If I can breed bats, at least I can feed my family. So people bred whatever they could. Uh, I'm talking bear farms, bat farms. You know, it was just, it wasn't out of, you know, the love of eating bats. It was the just desperation to feed their families. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, so that, some it, of that, yeah. Is it still like that now? I mean, are they, no. are they, are they starving that they have to eat, say, oh, I don't know, raccoon or, or possum or, you know? No, no. It, it very, very occasionally, if you go way out, sort of, you know, way towards Tibet and way rural China, yeah, there's a couple of cases out there of people who are, you know, eating whatever they can to survive. But majority these days, it is uh, Chinese uh, medicine uh, is a lot of where these animals are used, uh, and it's mostly eaten as a delicacy. So the very upper crust. So you know, the higher society, hoity-toity, um, they will, uh, they will eat it. Um, and usually as a sort of like, you know, you eat pangolins to prevent disease, which is ironic because eating a pangolin is what's caused this virus. Mm, interesting. That's terrible. Hopefully these places get shut down ASAP. Yeah, well, they're already shut. Uh, I don't think the, the Chinese government will, uh, you know, will have the rights to, uh, you know, have the balls to open them up again. I mean, this is, this is pretty rough. SARS, at least we could get, keep almost contained and, it was it wasn't that bad compared to what we're experiencing right now. Yes, and I pulled up some numbers here, and it seems uh, COVID nineteen has hit your country at three thousand three hundred seventy eight. Mm-hmm. Now that's a quite significant jump there from the last time I checked. Yes, we're now exp- we're now in the point where it's getting logarithmic growth, so effectively right. we're uh, doubling every every couple of days. Um, the interesting thing is to watch Turkey's numbers come out this morning from all their reporting, and their numbers are even steeper than the U.S. or China or Italy's numbers. Um, they're still early in the in the contagion phase because they're still nine days from their hundredth case, um, but their numbers are indicating that Turkey will explode out. Um, this is yeah, but this going to be the U.S. particularly is going to have a pretty rough couple of months. Oh yes, the economy is already hurting. By the way, I'm sure you know that. Um, all of us know that by now. And more people want the military to get involved, but a lot of people forget that the military is helping. They are all around the world, and we are still at war with Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria, and I think even Africa. I could be wrong. The mil- yeah. No, you're correct. The U.S. military has had operations in various African nations. Um, the interesting thing is, and is a very old naval proverb, and I use it all the time, is if you park a battleship in front of someone, they never notice the aircraft carrier behind them. Bingo. So, for instance, right now, right now, while everyone's locked in on this COVID uh, situation, we're not noticing the fact that, for instance, China has just moved a huge amount of anti-aircraft missiles and batteries, as well as building up bases in the West Philippine Sea. Um, you know, there's a lot of geopolitical moves going on in the background where no one's noticing. Russia is, for instance, moving a lot of stuff into Syria and preparing for 
effectively a complete takeover of the Syrian government. You know, we just had Egyptian generals get popped off. The Libyan civil war is kicking off and that will, you know, the Libyan civil war, whoever wins that, that will determine European politics for the next, you know, 12 to 16 years um, because it will control migration into Europe. I mean, there's so many movements on this chessboard that we're right. just not paying attention to because we're focused on COVID. Exactly. And with everything falling apart out, out here in America, the infrastructure is um, breaking down and we are very weak right now due to the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. And I'm sure most people out there that want to harm this country see us very vulnerable right now. This is a perfect opportunity for a terrorist attack. I'm sure all of you can agree with with me on that one. Yeah. That's also I, I something agree. that worries me uh, deeply is, is that happening, especially right now at this time. Exactly. Exactly. The, the, the terrorist attack would be an interesting scenario right now. Particularly, there's two things that are big facts. A, the election's coming up, and that's a huge one. But I honestly, when the U.S. goes under attack, particularly in, in cases like uh, Pearl Harbor or the Spanish-American War or even if we go into 9-11, they tend to have a bit of a rally around the flag. Um, if a terrorist attack was, were to happen, it might actually bring the country together rather than being as divided as it is at the moment. I'm not advocating for it. I don't think that's a good idea. But it would be interesting to see the dynamics. and Because remember, there was in 2000 uh, in the Gore-Bush junior election, the country was hugely divided. I don't know if, if we all remember the sort of it was a very hotly contested election and there was huge division in the country. And then 9-11 happens and then Bush has 95% approval rates and the country right. kind of comes together for a few years. It would be interesting to see if that dynamic would play out again. Right. And, of course, someone in the chat room by the name of Ginger X, I believe, says China bought up a lot of Australia and run a lot of things there, dot, dot, dot. Would guest agree? Yes. China bought large amounts of um, – so China's our biggest exporter. You know, Australia like, – I'll bring it back one more step. We're in this weird, weird position that Australia completely relies for its cultural and defense uh, capabilities from America. We're very close to America and that's who our biggest ally is. But China is our biggest trading partner and we were so you know, happy with China buying up lots of our real estate markets and lots of our mining markets. Uh, and particularly our conservative government here did a lot of legislation to allow, for instance, Chinese workers to come here on specific visas and then work for pretty close to Chinese wages. Um, you know, we have opened and embraced our, our arms to the Chinese. In fact, the Australian government opened their arms to the Chinese before Nixon did. Australia was the first one to jump ship and open up to the Red Dragon. Um, we are so reliant on China, particularly in my state, which is a mining state, uh, is, you know, we're looking at 41, 50, depending on who you ask, of our entire exports go to China. It's much higher when it comes to the mineral sector. Uh, if China coughs, we catch the flu, uh, economically speaking. Um, so, yes, I, I think it's it's we've become so reliant on, oh, well, should we spend money and, and diversify for Indonesia and India and, and you know, uh, Kenya? No, 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 we've put all our easy money in the easy basket, which is China, to lesser extent South Korea and a bit of Japan as well. Yeah, China has a stronghold on a lot of nations, including ours. Yes. Well, China is going for this Belt and Road Initiative, which is absolutely humongous. Um, effectively, you know, this if it works, it will be China. This is China century. They've got this in the bag. If it doesn't, they'll collapse and the tiger will eat itself. Um, you know, it's little things like, for instance, the Chinese loaned money to the Pakistani government saying, you know, we want you to build this huge port uh, called Gwada, which is a not very nice natural port on the south coast of Pakistan. Effectively, what it meant is China can 
pump its oil in without having to go all the way around and just go straight to Pakistan. But when the Pakistanis couldn't pay the pay the uh, the loans back, uh, which they obviously weren't going to do because it's a very corrupt country, um, China went, oh, okay, well, I guess we could just keep the port. No. Uh, yeah, so now China has all these ports that they've just defaulted everyone's loans, and now they have all these amazing ports all over the world. So the crazy thing to, uh, people don't kind of get as well is the fact that China – just in 2016, Xi gives a speech and says, we will not expand outside the Chinese nation. That's an American thing. We don't do imperialism. We're not, a, we, we don't do that. But now we're here in 2020 and China has naval, naval and military bases sitting in the Philippine Sea and the South China Sea, they have, uh, Cambodia, there's got Djibouti, they're popping up in Mozambique, uh, African nations have started to take him on and they're starting to uh, get a nice naval facility port in Greece as well. Uh, as well as the fact that they've now got countries like Portugal uh, consistently voting pro-China in the EU parliament. Uh, China has expanded dramatically over the last four years, and I think there is not much to stop them keep uh, continuing to do that. I wonder how all this plays out with uh, China, by the way, if we're going to keep doing um, business as usual, as they say, with, with the boys out there. I, uh, I think this is this is a huge moment. Uh, already, we're all thinking our supply chains. This is know? a wake-up call like for sure for the, the entire a, world. A, yeah, but that's the trouble is we like you know we're having that chat in Australia with one of the first coronavirus meetings going. Well, you know we build all these little switches and panels and what run in China. If we have this big piece of mining machinery that costs you know twelve billion dollars and you know uh, it's only made in Germany. Fantastic, but the Chinese make the the dashboard or the keys for them or the little bits and nibbly nobbly things. Um, and if it breaks and China's not in the supply chain, boom, we don't have it anymore. But I to mass ma- mass manufacture that much equipment, particularly little plastic things, switches, a small electronics, a consumable items. I can't see another country who can make them as cheap as China will. So people will either have to accept. But things are going to get more expensive when they're built in, you know, Vietnam, Mexico, possibly Brazil. Um, India is too much of a cluster to really get their act together about it. Um, but yeah, we have to accept that things are going to get more expensive, or we have to go back to China at the end of this. It's an insane prospect to look at. No doubt. My goodness, Mike. Were you, gonna, do- were you going to jump in there, Mike? I'm sorry. I was just no, say, I-, I, sound, I, I sound very doom and gloom. I'm usually far more chirpy than this on a Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, actually, you're kind of right up my alley, uh, Mr. Hillard. Um, definitely, uh, it is doom and gloom, but it is what's happening right now. And I mean, ev- everybody, everybody is talking about it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, practically uh, probably 99% of the world's population is discussing this issue. It's hard not to. Today. Yeah. It's hard not to. Exactly, Mike. Right. Um, so, yeah, tough times, man. And I'm, I, I was telling uh, – Michael D. Before that, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm nervous about what the economy is going to bring. I'm nervous about what's going to happen one, two, three, even four months from now after all this is cleaned up and we get the repercussions from um, from everything that's happening currently. The, and and mostly that is the shutting down of a lot of business, which is going to create a, a big dent in the economy and it's going to affect people. And as I was telling you before, Michael, I've already been affected um, from Definitely. a few things that I do, right. you know, and I've, I've lost some work. So it's, it's really, it, I'm afraid it's going to hit us hard. And that's, that's what I'm worried about because where I live, I'm not, I'm not even concerned about the, the virus because I live in the woods. So mm. I'd probably get attacked by a bear before I get attacked <laughs> by by a virus. Well, hopefully all this goes away by summer. That's what a lot of people are uh, hoping for. 
Cross your fingers. But then again, I'm sitting, it's, you know, we're March here, and yesterday was 38 Celsius, which is what, 104 no, Fahrenheit. Shit. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we're, we're still getting it. Yeah, you're you know? still getting China's it, China's quite hot. In, India's still hot. The heat won't solve this thing. Um, really? Yeah. No, heat won't solve this. Because we're quite hot, and we're getting it in big numbers as well. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the weather like right now? And uh, Well, you answered for me. It's hot. It's uh, well. It's night. Ten o'clock in the morning now, and I think it's thirty-four degrees or something outside, which is a high, uh, I think ninety-eight, ninety-nine, yeah. hundred Fahrenheit. So that sounds uh, yeah. Right. Don't deal. My yeah, God. It's hot. Well, um, I can't say this though. We are living history, boys and girls, all of us right now. Those of you listening at home, uh, Mike and Michael, uh, these are historic times in our. Human history, to be honest, it's quite insane. This is the this is the area we'll talk about with our kids. Pretty um, much, you know, there'll be a history book, and it, you'll flick through, you know, twenty twelve, and you'll flick through twenty thirteen, and you're going to have a couple of chapters from twenty twenty. It's uh, yeah, this is a big year, uh, and this is depending on how many dominoes line up, is you know, this will have huge effects and knock ons. You know, we got to realize that. You know, that what we do now will affect how the South China Sea disputes go. What we do now will affect, you know, the French and German elections coming up, which will either make or break the European Union. What we do now will put the US on trajectories for completely different options. What we do now will either bind Southeast Asia together uh, or will force a lot of these countries to go with an anti-China uh, uh, doctrine. And unfortunately, that will break Belt and Road and we might see the end of the Chinese century. There are so many options lying out and even the smartest people I, I was on the phone the other day with a guy who works in trump's white house i've been going on the phone this week with guys from cia and harvard and none of them have any idea where this is going uh, you know, this is to, the first yeah. time i think i've seen all the smartest people in the room stumped you know, just clueless yeah. yeah this is weird i would be terrified as well no one really knows what's going to happen and we could only hope for the best really to be honest with everyone out there realistically yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a thing I like to talk about quite a lot with people when I when I give speeches and whatnot. But so I'm going to go a bit of a rant. But the, the thing that really kind of calms me down in, in situations like this is reading British newspapers from World War One. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the in the summer of World War One, 1918, the Germans make their last big push, and the British actually thought they were going to lose. They've been fighting this war for you know four and a half years. They were tired. You know, the public is over it, and they're in the middle of this war, and everyone thinks it's over. They go, well, we're done. Welcome to the German century. But what they didn't know is that three months from then, they were about to win the war. You know, they didn't know that that was the last of the Germans' pushes, that they were going to break after that, and that they won this war because they were sitting in the middle of it. And a lot of people in the middle of a crisis or a disaster don't realize that they're going to get through it. You know, we never know when the, the light at the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel is just around the corner when right. we can solve the problem. You know, we may be in that situation. Um, and I, I'd like to be optimistic at times and say, maybe, you know, we might be only three months away from victory here. Well, we good. don't know. Uh, right. And some good news is that there are people recovering as well, not to be so doom and gloom here tonight. People do recover, however. That's the good thing. Quite a lot. And remember, those recovery numbers are way underreported because majority of the people will, you know, like 80 something percent of cases will just get this virus and not even they might get a slight stiffly nose. And that's it. Most people don't even know that it's carriers, um, which is terrifying because it means that everyone can transmit it. But it also means that the recovered numbers would be probably five, six to even 10 times higher because the majority of people you know, they recovered because they didn't, didn't even know they had it. That's true. So the recovery numbers are, are going to be looking better and better. 
Uh, and the more we know about this disease, because everyone's researching it, the quicker we'll be able to fight this thing. Yeah, that's like me, Mike. And See, I, I might have had it, Mike. You don't even know. It, yeah, no, I guess you're right. I guess you're right, Michael, because uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't know all the small details about the virus itself, except, um, you know, how dangerous it could be for elderly or people with immune compromised, uh, compromised immune systems. Right. But yeah, based on what you're saying and what uh, Mr. Hillard is saying, I, I, I guess... Yes, uh, there are no rules, you know. Per yeah, se. this is this is like we've we've known about coronaviruses for a very long time because they're very prevalent in cats and and small animals. This is the first time it's jumped to a human. But wow. yeah, it, effectively, how they get us is they they you know send our entire immune systems into overdrive and they start attacking their your cells and it starts attacking your lungs. Uh, and then obviously from there, the whole bunch of other stuff happens. Um, but yeah, we are learning more and more about this human strain every day. There's breakthroughs coming out. There's drugs being tested. Um, you know, I, I have faith in humans. I have faith in that when people are put to the test and put to the challenge, that we tend to rise. You know, right. Man went to the moon not because it was easy, but because it was good. You know, because it was hard. Because it was uh, hard. Right. Right. I agree with you on that. I one. think we can beat. Yeah, I think so too. I I do have hope for humanity, and we do have some of the smartest people around the world uh, working on this thing. And as we were talking, I brought up. Um, well, I looked at some news article that that came up on my phone, and normally I don't really see this very often, but it's by BuzzFeed, and they're saying doctors and nurses say more people are dying of COVID nineteen in the U.S. than we know. And this is from a California ER doctor who reported this to a BuzzFeed, which I don't exactly um, frequent their website very much, but that caught my attention just now. Uh, do you think that's a legit, Michael? Uh, yeah, you can get pissed. Well, either one of you oh. guys. Do you guys think that's um, positive? <laughs> what do you think that's true? Michael, will you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think um, – I'll, I'll go first. I think that uh, all the information that's coming in right now, um, it, it all has to be really – I guess you got to really know where your sources are coming from before you you, you, you swallow anything. Right. Uh, I don't. You said this guy was a doctor. Right? Uh, according to this article, yeah. Right. Oh well, you know, it, it, it's hard to say, Mike. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a reply to that, Mr. Hillard. <sighs> yes, cases are being underreported uh, because, frankly, it's a it's a gamble that you have to make. If you test everyone, for instance, then you run out of tests quickly before this pandemic reaches peak points and. You know, like Australia has a stockpile of tests here because we know that when we get to an exponential real big problem, we need to test as we're going to be having to test five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of the amount of uh, times the amount of people we're testing now. So a lot of people who are coming in, they might have all the uh, very a lot of the symptoms, but they haven't been in contact with someone from overseas or they haven't been in the area that's got it. So the doctors go, ah, don't worry about it. You probably just got the flu. Go home. Um, so yeah, I guarantee that the numbers are uh, way lower. Uh, way sorry, way higher than we think they are. The interesting case studies to look at that would be towns in Italy and Germany where they've tested almost everyone and they find the death rate's a lot lower, um, but they found there was a lot more cases of it. So, for instance, in a place like in Germany, the death rate of this thing is 0.8% uh, because they tested everyone, including the guys who uh, you know didn't show many symptoms. Um, so when, let's say, you have a death rate of uh, 3.6 or 3.8 in some of these countries, it's 3.8 of people showing symptoms, not 3.8 of the entire population. So it's, a, it's an interesting little distinction there. But the more you test, the more you realize that this thing doesn't have as high a kill rate, but it has a very high contagion rate. By the way, you mentioned um, cats and dogs right now. I think I saw someone in the chat room say that they had five cats 
think that was someone named Chris. Are they you, sick with the coronavirus? I don't think they're sick with the coronavirus, but uh, Michael, what were you saying about that? So originally, the a coronavirus is you know just a type of virus. Right, it's, right. You know, it, it's a strain. It's a strain. Um, if you cats and dogs, they're probably not going to get it. It's it's a very odd strain. It mostly pops up in China and other places. Uh, you're not going to be. It'd be very unlikely cats to get it, and particularly the cats won't get this strain. That strain, I mean, yeah. This is a mutate. This this is a mutation of that. So even if your cat, all your cats got a coronavirus. You could lick the cat; it wouldn't really matter that much, you know. Oh, it's, good because I, I lick my cat all the time. Don't lick your cat. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not sound medical advice. Yeah, this is not medical <laughs> advice. Um, but yes, yeah, it's a different strain. This is a mutation of that, and that's what's making it human to human. So this this strain is not bouncing, you know, human dog, human right, cat. It's right, going right. Human, human. Yeah, I was just thinking about that right now, and I was thinking, no way can a cat really pass this uh, specific strain to you. Uh, you're most likely to get like a toxoplasmosis from uh, from having a cat around you, from the Ooh. feces of a cat. You're also very likely you're likely to have ruined couch cushions as well, from experience. Exactly. Hopefully, and by the way, you don't, you don't have a problem from licking cat feces, <laughs> do you? Hold on, <laughs> hold that thought one one second. We do have a caller. Let's. Uh, bring them in. Uh, caller, can you hear me now? Caller. What's up, caller? What's going on? Hello. Caller. Okay. Uh, well, no clue what happened to him, but onward right, we that's go. Number two. That's number two there, Mike. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. But yes, don't lick cat feces. Yes. Okay. A good thing you told me because, you know, I, I get these urges sometimes. I know. It looks, you say uh, one thing about- looks appealing. That, that- that's what my that's what my podcast is. It's just two hours of me telling people don't eat cat feces. That's all. That's all the show is. That's a hit show to me. <laughs> but yeah, you actually have some great content on the Redline podcast. I, I've heard several episodes. Very fascinating stuff. I definitely do appreciate your work that goes into that, no doubt. And speaking of which, in your opinion or in your preference, which country did you enjoy the most of visiting, Michael? Oh, um, there's so many. I, I, I absolutely love. I, I love Georgia. Georgia is is a place I would happily live. Uh, Kachapuri particularly would always draw me in. The Kazakhstanis or the Kazakhs are the nicest people in the world. Uh, I very you know there's lovely people everywhere, but the Kazakhs are particularly nice. They are you know if you stop and look at a map for two seconds, someone will come out of their house to offer you some bread or offer you directions or walk you there or they'll offer to drive you there. It's oh, insane. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, Russia's lovely. Um, Germany's lovely. Uh, Indonesia's always always fantastic. Uh, there's a bunch of great places in the world, but I have a bit of a soft spot for uh, for Mongolia and Kazakhstan. Very nice. As long as you don't, as long as you don't lick a cat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> as They're long as you're not. It's all horse. All horse. Um, all horse. Uh, they drink horse milk. The Mongolians, particularly, they have this. Horse milk drink. Horse say. milk. Yeah, I never heard of that. It's, I, I went to this. How do you milk a horse? I know. Good I God. Don't know. I, I met this. I was traveling through Mongolia doing a piece, and there were. I met this uh, colonel from the Mongolian army whose mum ran a horse breeding farm in the national park. And I was like, okay, let's go let's take a look. So I rode horses through, and then she came up to me afterwards after the ride with this lovely glass of white liquid. And I went, oh, okay. And I have a sip. Horse milk. They serve it boiling hot, and they serve it with 
what feels like two tablespoons of salt in it. It's just warm, salty. I hope to God it was milk. That's all I can say. It was awful. I, that's what I'm wondering right now. Are you sure it was milk? I'm not. <laughs> now, now I'm thinking about it. It was a horse breeding farm, and it was. <laughs> oh no! Oh my gosh! Who knows? Um, if if any Mongolian people are calling into the show, please, <laughs> I apologize, but horse milk sucks. Well, would that <laughs> would that be the most uh, bizarre thing you have consumed out there? Oh, um, I, I, I went and drank this this vodka that was made from grain in Chernobyl um, when I was when I was in Chernobyl. Um, you know, oh, there's so many random animals. I went to a Chinese restaurant in. I think it was Guangzhou where they served just this thing. And I went, what is this? It is meat. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> obviously, instead of bugs and insects, uh, I usually try everything once and realize a lot of it's pretty awful. I, I got a question for you. Now, you have you been to China? Yes. Okay. So when you were in China, do Chinese people eat Chinese food like we do? Uh, yes and no. They don't eat like Chinese, Chinese food is very different in China than it is in the West. So they use way less sugar. There's a lot more rice. It's a lot more vegetable based. Uh, there's a lot less sauce in it. Like everything needs to be a bit drier. Um, but yeah, generally, and it's a lot more chicken than anything else. Um, but yeah, like it's very different to Western Chinese food. They don't do Chinese buffet either. Like cause I know you in the Americans, you guys tend to do Chinese buffet, which makes no sense to us. <laughs> It doesn't make much sense to us either. I agree. <laughs> I can even tell you the last time I ate at a buffet. And that was? Never. Never. <laughs> I mean, I haven't eaten at one in, in years, man. It's been more than like 20 years probably. Wow. Uh, well, you're missing out, brother, because that's where you get to pick whatever you want and stock up on it. Because sometimes when you when you go to a restaurant and you get a standard meal – they give you what they give you, and you don't really have a choice. And you get food and poisoning that buffet. way. Say again? I said, and that's how you get food poisoning. Well, I, I suppose. Or COVID. You or know, COVID-19. COVID is, uh, good, time, good time to have buffets. You know what I mean? Well, you know, there's a good way to, to, to cure that is by putting a hairdryer up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even eating cat feces. Oh, on a, on a snow cone. On a snow cone, right. Good Lord. It's like ice cream. What's wrong with you guys? Well, we've been hanging out at too many Asian markets. I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys are bad influences. At 9.30 in the morning here, I'm now you know, oh. talking to people uh, about cat feces. You know, this is exactly how I, I envision my Saturday morning going. Exactly. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you please make us all jealous and hate you right now by telling us how nice it is in Australia? Oh, I Like, know. what's the weather like? Oh, the weather, it's, it's hot. Um, nice and hot. It's just hot all the time. Uh, you know, there's Clear very, skies. No, there's this clear skies. I think there had a bit of rain yesterday, but generally it's it's clear skies most of the time. Like for me, it sort of hits. You know, when it gets hot though, like we get to 110 Fahrenheit here in summer. That's okay. It's a dry heat. Now I've got to ask <laughs> you this because because you're Australian and I've never spoken to an Australian face to or face to face, uh, Skype to Skype. I got to ask you right now. If you look out your window, all right. Here's the thing. Here's what I was going to say. Do you see any ruse? No, unfortunately not. I live in the city, but I <laughs> I am I am unlucky enough that I have been bitten by a spider, a shark, oh. a snake, a scorpion, and a llama in my time in living in this country. Wow. Wow, a shark, you said, huh? It's just literally, but um oh, okay. I, yeah, okay. it, it you know, it definitely uh, left a bit of a scar, but yes. Um scorpion was probably the, probably the worst. The llama sucked. I don't wow. like llamas anymore. Um, a llama bit you. Wait a minute. Back up. Tell that story. Was My it the parents- Dalai Lama, was it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, my parents, uh, I grew up on a horse breeding farm, uh, and my parents backed onto a llama farm. And just when I was a teenager trying to sneak back in into the house so that my parents knowing how late I'd been out, I had to sneak through a paddock of llamas. And one particularly aggressive llama thought it would be fun to either spit at me or bite me. So all my parents could hear coming through the darkness was, ah, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Lots of expletives. Yeah, they're yeah. famous for, for spitting at you or, or shooting snot out of their nose at you. So they're they're good at that. Dirty little bastards. It takes two lots of shampoo to get it out. Trust me. I speak from experience. I had no idea that llamas were that uh, gross. Little, oh, they're terrible. Little bastards. Yeah. Wow. I thought they were just <laughs> these little cute, innocent little creatures. Now I'm seeing they're kind of um they're kind of dicks. <laughs> I love all animals. I'm a big animal guy. I hate llamas. Screw llamas. I'm done with them. <laughs> Bastard llama. Hey, I got one other question for you. You said you got bit by a spider. What kind of spider? Uh, I mean, I got bitten by a redback spider, which is a – That sounds uh, painful. Well, huntsman, so there's a lot of spiders. The two big ones around here are redbacks, which are very poisonous. So obviously it was a trip to the hospital for me. Um, but they hide underneath stuff and then they come out and bite you. Uh, but then there's huntsmen who are giant, you know, the size of uh, a very large orange, probably bigger. Yes, yes. Um, Tell me you got bit by one of them. No, they don't bite. But they're, they're, so we have kind of – I have a symbiotic relationship. I hate flies, so I kind of let a few sit around the house. To kind of oh, okay. Eat flies. But like wow. doing stuff like – there's been a few times where I put on a T-shirt and obviously it's been hanging out on the washing line. And then be, I feel the spider crawling on my chest because it's been inside oh the T-shirt. Oh, my God. No and you way. rip it off. You have to no. rip it off quickly. Um, so, yeah, there's, like, there's spiders all over the place. But at the same time, we're all kind of used to it. And then it bite. And the huntsmen particularly, they eat all the cockroaches and, and flies and whatnot. So most of the time we just put a glass over it and take it outside. We don't kill them usually because there's kind of a, you know, I don't like you, spider, but I like you more than I like flies. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a very weird country. I, it it seems like – go you, ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. I, I was just going to say I hate everything. Um, I, I like everything about Australia, Australia, except all the bugs and uh, weird creatures that roam around out there in Australia. Yeah. Everything seems like it wants to kill you out there. <laughs> well, just the insects, not just, so much the animals, because you got wombats, you got kangaroos, spitting llamas. But they're not so much. A, I mean, what do you really have out there? Dingoes that will attack we got you? The box, I mean, got the box jellyfish so as well. That's so true. Got, so, <laughs> so as a guy who works a little bit for tourism, uh, I'm sorry for any comment, any uh, any you know people who might be listening. But yes, the kangaroos can kill you. They're, they're, they can. You very much so. It happens all the time uh, wow. because the bi big red ones. If you don't approach them correctly, they'll jump up and they'll kick you, and it caves your entire chest in. Damn. Yeah. Um, they they are powerful. They, I mean, they we, they can leap like what 20, 30 feet in one one leap. Yeah. Yeah, they they bound around all the time, and they're they're pests because um, they just breed out of control. Uh, wombats as well. There's always we have about one Chinese tourist die every two years from a wombat because they stick their heads in the burrows, and the wombats oh. panic and, and attack them. Oh they, my they're, god! They're, they're, they're solid. Like if you, my friend hit hit a, hit a wombat with his car, the car was a write off, and the wombat was walking away. No way. They are rocks with legs. Wow. Um. Yeah. It's a it, we're a very very odd country. No, I I love Australia. I I always wanted to go there. Um, I probably will never have the opportunity to do so. But everything I've seen from uh, Australia, uh, you know, the 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 landscape, the cities, the animals. Believe me, I'd love to be there, but I just don't think I'll ever be able to make it. 
it's not, it's not that expensive these days. You can fly, you know, from uh, from LA to Sydney for uh, what would be particularly now with our dollar collapsing, uh, you could probably fly once the thing's over for eight hundred US. Mike, you're going to have to show well, up maybe. in a in a hazmat uh, suit there. <laughs> <laughs> That's very possible, but you know, who who knows? Maybe someday, maybe someday. But I'm I'm sorry, Michael. I've been hogging up all the time here. Did you want to continue to talk about anything uh, about the corona? No, I, I'm I'm pretty good. You know, it's uh, I just I'm glad to be on the show. It's good to meet you guys and uh, and have a chat. Uh, I'm pretty easy. Good. Yes, good. Before wow. I before we um close things out here, I I did want to leave both of you with a with an assignment since we've been talking about animals so much. Uh, you guys both need to watch the Netflix series uh, Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic. If the, you haven't watched it yet, that's My the guy God. with the with the with the tigers and the yes. lions and yes. stuff. Hell yes. Yeah, I, you saw it already. You know, I keep no, no, no. You know what it is? Every time I turn on Netflix to watch something else, that that goddamn commercial pops up. You got to see it. And I'll tell you that that is it good because it, it's look, the guy looks like good. a total freak. He is a total freak. It's everything you would expect, and I love it. It's insane. <laughs> you got to watch. Both of you, ha- you both have to watch this. Everyone listening has to watch this shit. It's intense. All right, all I'll I, check all, it out. All I know is he ran. Didn't he run for president in 2016? Did he? Did he? I have no idea if he did. Yeah, because Joe, he, he actually, because the first time I came across Joe Exotic, he was running for president, and he had this amazing, amazing ad where he's like, I am gay. I have had two lovers at the same time, and I am running for president. That's true. <laughs> he's gay, an though. Amazing political ad. No, he is gay, and he has two lovers for sure. And they're they're in, they're in the documentary there. Yeah, he, he ran for pre- he ran for president as an independent in 2016. Holy shit! That's all fine. That's all fine and dandy, but you know, thinking about electing a guy that's got tattoos of bullet holes on his chest, <laughs> a little frightening. <laughs> I mean, oh, you know, we'll make him the governor of Florida. We'll say that guy's close enough. My God. <laughs> Maybe just mayor. Maybe just mayor. Yeah. Either way, it's the most amazing political. I am gay. I have had two lovers at the same time, and I am running for president. <laughs> I, I think I I think I need to get a sound drop of that. Play yeah, during that, the show. That, that, that is good. That's going to haunt me for the rest of my life, isn't it? If I ever <laughs> run for prime minister over here or cabinet, it's going to be uh, – they're just going to play that clip. They're going to play uh, that right repeat, there. They? they sure are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mr. Hello. Hillard, I, I have a question for you. Um, I don't know how how much you, you like what you hear as far as the political nonsense craziness that's going on out here in the country with uh, between the left and the right. But my question to you is, what's it like down there? Do you guys go like when you when you have a, a you guys have presidents, right? Not prime ministers, right? We have a prime minister. The queen is still technically a head of state. OK, so when you elect a prime minister. I'm assuming you still have a left and right party. Is that right to assume? Yes, that is correct. So but we have when, multiple parties, though. Okay, so so be that as it may, when you get one elected or are going through a candidacy of who's going to be elected prime minister, do you guys – do you ever see some of the chaos in your country – uh, from from one-sided parties against one opposite candidate and vice versa, like it's happening out here. Uh, do you understand yes. what I'm, I'm asking? I, I fully understand. And so Amer- Australians consume American media quite heavily to the point where it's very weird. Most Australians don't know who the deputy prime minister is, your kind of vice president. Uh, okay. But we, but most Australians can name all eight Democratic nominees. Um, you know, we follow the U.S. election far closer than we follow our own election, which is really? insane. Yes. Why uh, is you that? Know, 
it, just because it's more interesting. You know, most of our, <laughs> you know, when you've got, you know, our election, which is you're like, I'm going to put up tax by 12%. And I think it's going to be really interesting, you know, between compared to <laughs> Donald Trump, you know, uh, you know, fake newsing and then yelling and carrying on and Hillary Clinton wearing God awful pantsuits. Um, you know, it's much more interesting to watch us politics. You guys just throw all the mud at the wall. Whereas we're a little more uh, quiet with our elections. It is getting that way. We are getting more Americanized, you know, they're, you know, it's little things like, you know, people will over here yell, I've got my second amendment rights. I'm like, that's a very different country. So it's Australia. Um, do, you, do, you, do you think that's better? I mean, I, I, I'm going to just go ahead and, and say I would imagine that you would think the right thing to do is probably be a little bit more uh, calm about things and not screaming uh, obscenities and defacing property just because your candidate lost the election. Yeah, it doesn't happen quite so bad. But again, we also have a, a you know, voting is mandatory here. There's actually a $50 fine if you don't. Wow. And it's, you know, our polling places are designed to be every single school in the country. The rule, the rule is almost that you have, you shouldn't in a, a town or a city, you shouldn't have to walk, walk more than 300 meters to a polling place. Um, it happens on a Saturday and you can vote for months beforehand. You can literally, you can vote by mail. You can go into a, a, a pre-polling place, which is like a polling booth that's open for two months beforehand in case you might be busy on polling day. Uh, and we also have multiple parties. So, for instance, the big four in Australia are from let's go from left to right. The Greens, which is you know a standing kind of Greens party, Environment First, uh, very left. Uh, we've got Labor Party, which is uh, centre left. Uh, they're very big on workers' rights. Um, you know, they have been you know pretty good every time they get in. Uh, there's the we call it, you know, weirdly enough our right wing party is called the Liberals, which is very weird when it comes to American politics to try and explain. Uh, and then we have a party called One Nation, which is effectively the most conservative or conservative, you know, anyone darker than this color needs to get out of the country kind of politics. Oh, wow. <laughs> How lovely. <laughs> well, what do you think of that, Mr. Deacon? I'm as, as stunned as you are about that. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, do you think it's a, like what he said about the mandatory voting? If you don't vote, you get a $50 fine. Do you yeah, think I that's did. a good idea? Well, I don't know. That's a, that's a difficult one because here in America, you have the right to not vote. And some say that's even more American than voting. You know what? Yeah, you got a good point there. I never even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. And, and you know, in the you past, know son. when I, when I was, when I was standing up for my political interests and being a punk rocker, there were many years that I didn't vote for a president. Um, but uh, I kind of got out of that phase. No, interesting, very interesting. You're exercising your American rights. But to, to counter that, what it does is it centralizes our politics. You know, American. You know, there's a very big difference between left and right in America, where this. You know, the Australians are a little more centrist with how they go because both parties know that if if you know the the Labor, Labor Party was to go way to the left and say let's nationalize every business and let's go far left, they know that that would spook. Because remember, you know, in most politics, you know. There's, you know, uh, you know, let's call it 25% are diehard leftists and 25% are diehard rights. That 50% will swing. Uh, it's usually not 50%. It's much smaller these days. But um, if you go too far to the left or too far to the right with your party, that center that, you know, doesn't really care about politics will go, oh, that, that guy's a bit crazy and they'll swing away. So what it's done is centerize our parties because both sides know they can't go too far to the left or the right. Otherwise, they'll alienate the people who don't follow politics. Whereas with the U.S., only people who are really interested votes, only the very diehard people who follow politics are in very entrenched vote. It's designed to make sure that the people who don't follow politics 
you know, they have to get involved. So you can't swing too far uh, either way. That is interesting. However, these fines, I'm not sure if they will, would ever do that here in America, but that's pretty interesting. I never knew that. I I don't think they, I don't think they could, Michael, because there are a lot of people uh, in the low, uh, very very uh, true term, the low, uh, was it low educated, low income, um, right? Right. Where, I mean, they, you know, you can't find them $50 sure. for voting. I think what you said initially was, was absolutely right. It is, it's, it's an American's right to not vote if you choose not to. So you, you, you don't have to vote. So you have to, you have to show up to the polling place. So you can, let's say, go to the polling place and tick off your names. So you don't get the fine and then you can walk out or you can take your ballot paper and throw it in the bin or you can write hate this, don't want to do it, and you can throw it in the, in the ballot box. You don't have to vote. You have to show up to the polling place. And that polling place, we have uh, free hot dogs at the polling place. And oh. quite often there's brownies there. And they really like oh, it's a lovely. big we call it a, we call it a democracy sausage over here. It's very weird. Um, bat dogs, bat dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you don't have you don't, you don't have to vote. But what it does is make sure that everyone is at least a little politically active and, and realizing what's going on. That's pretty good. What do you think, Mike? That is pretty good. It's unlike here in America where everyone is oblivious. That's the um mm-hmm. that's the bad part. No one really gives a shit about a lot of things that are going on around the world or in their own community. It's it's quite sad, but that's a, a big a chunk of Americans out there right now. You know, you know what? Well, that's all. That's all because of of education and 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 the education in this country. Uh, they focus more on you know, uh, Cindy's got two mommies or you know well, Johnny's got two daddies and, and worry about things like that when they really should be teaching a child basics and also knowing the basics of our our structure of our country. Uh, you know, just I mean that's what I learned when I was a kid. I wasn't I wasn't told that you know you have to learn how to accept uh, you know. What is it? Translucent gender, whatever. Um, I don't even know what the term is. But, you know, it, it's so politically correct these days and push it, pushing so many different idealistic uh, things for these kids that they're, they're too young. They should learn the basics. Now they don't want to teach you about the Civil War. I, I, you know, and now we don't even have stuff. school <laughs> at all. Now we don't even have school for next three so- months. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there for a second. So, yeah, no one uh, – again, it comes down to that weird thing that no one doesn't want to teach about the Civil War. It's like one person on Twitter. It's no one actually wants to do that. Even the like forced teaching about gay marriage in schools, it's only very far left people who are mostly just trying to signal to their donors. Um, you know, in the US particularly where money is a very, very big thing in politics, which it is here too. Uh, you know, if you go, I, you know, you see Alabama Republicans do it, they'll be the most pro-life candidate because they know that they're most likely to get money from church and pro-life super PACs. You know, that's why on the left, you might go the most gay rights. You know, I want it taught from year one because you're likely to get uh, more money from the super, from the, you know, the pro-gay super PACs. Right. Um, you know, right. But then everyone knows it'll never pass. They can be, it can go, I don't want to teach about the Civil War because I'm the most leftist. And they'll put the legislation in knowing it'll die. But they've got their money and they don't care. It's all signaling. Uh, it never, it's never going to pass. And, you know, all the legislation that's ever come in to be, hey, we should teach about gay rights at school has said, we should maybe mention it when it gets to like year eight. But at that point, everyone's watched television and everyone's kind of figured it out for themselves already. But again, most culture stuff is designed to just signal to a pack. Uh, and get money from a certain group or conglomerate. I, I didn't get into politics or even quite understand them until I was about, I mean, I knew it was there. 
And I even voted, you know, when I was 18, because that, that's the law out here. Um, but I voted 18, and I believe again at, uh, what was it, 2022. 20, um, but I didn't know. I, di- I didn't care. I, I had no, no interest in politics. I really didn't get into politics until I was about 25, or, or should I say understand politics until I was about 25. So, I don't yeah, know. and that's not unusual. Um, no, well, not everyone needs to understand politics. It's, I think people should take a more active interest in it, but not a Absolutely. lot of people don't. Yeah, looking back, you know, looking back now, you know, I, I think it's, it, it, I kind of made some mistakes, but I think I was brought up properly to understand what was important. It was just that at the time, the world wasn't, I don't, in, in my opinion, I don't think the world or the country, our country, was in any peril that I needed to worry so much about politics. My, my real focus came in, uh, to, to, to structure when after 9-11 happened. I must have watched the news for about, a year straight just trying to figure out what was going on. And ever since then, I've had an interest in what goes on to this country because I'll tell you the truth. Ever since 9-11, I have seen a downfall in, in, uh, in the structure of this country. Uh, there's no doubt about it. What do you think, Michael? I, I can agree, but I, I think there's a lot more than just 9-11. I, I, I'm not of course. Particularly, a, particularly a fan of, of Reaganomics. Uh, and I think that eroded a lot, set them on a weird path where, you know, the amount of Americans who are, and we're seeing it now with, with COVID, uh, the amount of Americans who are getting, you know, now one check, paycheck away from bankruptcy or, you know, there, there was a statistic that came out and said that 42% of Americans cannot afford to lose, you know, you know get an unexpected $900 bill, which is pretty crazy to think about um, considering back in the 70s and 80s, you know, most Americans had a fairly decent uh, living standard. Right. Um, you know, that I think is, is going to be eroding for a while as well as Citizens United where money speaks louder than people now in, in all politics. And, and yep. you know, we, we do the same thing. That's where that would be almost as big an impact as 9-11 in my opinion. It's my discouraging. Opinion. It's discouraging. Mm. Knowing that, you know, small things like, you know, a, a wage increase or, or renter's rights or something like that would be amazing for so much of the population. But a couple of very wealthy donors have donated enough that no, it's not on the cards anymore. Now, Michael, let me, Mr. Deacon. Well, just let me ask you this question really quickly here, Michael, about COVID nineteen. Some people say this was created in a lab and purposely set off to basically destroy all the economical infrastructure around the globe. Do you subscribe to that notion, Michael? So I've done, I think I've done 12 interviews about COVID this week, and I've been asked that question every single one. Of uh, so I actually went and asked a expert of my expert, a friend of mine who works um, for the Russian government who specialized in chemical weapons, uh, and his answer to me was that no, it, it it's 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 too sophisticated for the Chinese. Um, the, most bioweapons have a bit of a signature from it. You know, like there are certain elements, particularly in the Russian stuff that, you know, uh, especially with the Novichok programs, um, that they all have a bit of a signature to them. You can tell who made them. You can tell where it is. Even if it was China, why would they launch this when they did? Because Chinese New Year is the worst possible scenario for when you'd launch this because it's their biggest trading period. It's their biggest shopping period. Their economy relies very heavily on getting that huge, you know, it would be like launching this in America three weeks before Christmas. You guys rely very heavily on that huge retail boost between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's exactly the same period that China would have launched this. Um, it, it would be almost, you know, the worst form of suicide to be launching this on yourself just before your biggest retail period. If it happened just after, maybe, but it, that, launching it before is, 
you know, I can't see the Chinese being that dumb to do that. And as for if it was an American bioweapon, you know, no one's dumb enough to think they can burn their neighbor's apartment down and it won't come back on them. Um, bioweapons, you know, I, I've sat and thank, think a lot of think tanks um, and Americans will do the same and they'll run scenarios and we can run the nuclear warfare drills and we can run the, the you know, conflict drills and the, the, the North Korean missile drills. But pandemic is the one that scares the living bejesus out of all of us because that's the one we always collapse and we always fail at. Um, there's no way anyone would want to unleash this because we all know how bad this was going to be. And China, who's already in a rickety economic place at the moment, you can see that from particularly the Agricultural Bank of China buying up all these small banks in South China, um, there's no way they would want to launch this uh, right before the biggest retail period. Amazing. And of course, where can people find your podcast, Michael? Uh, so my podcast is The Red Line. Uh, you can find it on Spotify or Apple or Google or you know almost all the little podcast places you can usually find it. Uh, and we just we do a deep dive on one big subject uh, each fortnight. I know the last well, the last episode we just did was on private militaries. Uh, so with Eric Prince and the Russian mercenary group uh, Wagner and how they're operating in Middle East and Africa. Uh, and the next episode is about the Russian expansion into the Arctic, as well as the Russian hypersonic missile program, which is a very exciting one for us. And final question wow. before we uh, jump off here, Michael, what exactly was your interest to even begin doing the Red Line podcast? Um, it was, it was, I got approached by a producer who does news stations over here who, you know, cause I, I spent a lot of time doing ghostwriting for politicians. Um, so particularly, you know, when a politician, mostly British politicians would want to write a book on Eastern European doctrines and defenses. And I would go, okay, well, I'll write the book for you and you can put your name on it and I'll pretend like you, that way you can go out and say, well, I'm an expert on defense and I should be the secretary of defense. Cause look <laughs> at this book I wrote that shows yeah. that I know what I'm talking about, which they didn't write a word of it. Um, <laughs> good times. So yeah, I, I, yeah. So I spent a lot of time in countries with you know cheap guns and cheap vodka, uh, and then I got asked to be part of the show, and I went, yeah, I've got all these cool connections I've made over the years. But you know, when you go to a bar in somewhere like Uzbekistan or, or Eastern Ukraine or something, the only people you meet at bars are spies, army officers, journalists, <laughs> real characters, um, and, yeah, and idiots, and idiots, um, sure. And, <laughs> So, yeah, I had all these weird contacts. I was like, look, this could be a show. You know, I was chatting with them all the time. You know, I'd call a friend of mine who's, you know, operating, you know, selling guns in Uzbekistan. I'd be like, hey, what's going on over there at the moment? And that kind of spawned what the show was from there. Amazing stuff. Well, I'm a big supporter of your podcast, The Red Line. I think it's fantastic. I definitely recommend everyone to uh, check it out whenever they get the chance. And, uh, Michael, any final words before we let you uh, loose here? No, just saying thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, this is the first time I've ever done a panel where everyone's called Michael. So that's fun. <laughs> oh, yes. Three Michaels make a we've right done, sometimes. We've, we've done about four or five shows, or should I say four or five uh, 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 guests that it's been a, 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 Michael, a Michael Fest. fest right. So we, we always get a little confused Isn't when that we great? do shows. I love it. Yeah, it's it's fun, but I I've gotten to the point where I now call everybody by the last name, Mister So and So, if it's a, if it's another Michael. That works. It was great having no you, sir, Mister Mister Hillard. It was great having you. No, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having us again, guys. And uh, yeah, anytime. All right, take care, Michael. We'll talk to you again. Stay safe. Thanks so much. Good night. And there he goes, Mike. What'd you think of wow. uh, Mister Hillard there? He was fun. Uh, he was fun, man. A lot of Great. lot of information. He's a world man, you know, jet setter. He sure is. And uh, that that you know, when you do things like that, 
having experienced that for a short time that I did, you really get to you get to see so much and and you take it all in. It, it's how I ended up writing a book uh, because you know you you you're 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 out, you're meeting new people, you're discovering new cultures, and he's got he's probably got a ton of great stories. I I you know oh of course it'd be great to interview him again. Yeah, we've talked about some of those stories off air and. Yeah, there, there's a lot more to talk uh, about with this gentleman and some of the things he has discussed at bars, several bars around the world. A lot of good content comes from uh, talking to people out there. You can only imagine. Spies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Gun sellers. It's good shit. Very good. <laughs> I'll tell you. But my goodness, wow. Mike, it's almost time to close up here. And of course, we will return tomorrow with Eric Gajewski. Yes. Looking forward yeah, to that. This was uh, unexpected, but... Uh, unexpected show, but but a pleasure. It was a really good show tonight. I, I really enjoyed it. I know sometimes the best ones are always unexpected. Nice. It's a little bit of the a little bit of the piece of pie there, as they say. Always nice. Yep. And uh, for those listeners out there, hopefully uh, I'm not going to say the name, but hopefully I'm going to have a, a one or two guests on the show, um, as you know, with Michael's approval, of course. Um, that will hopefully really knock your socks off. I'm hoping I have my fingers crossed for those uh, people to make it through, Mike. Me too. Me too. I'm just waiting to hear back from them. And uh, once I get a confirmation, we will uh, hopefully soon we will make an announcement on who's going to who's going to be on the show. One of them is actually a bass player in a band. And uh, can you not discuss that with anybody? No, I can't. You want to keep it private? Okay. No. <laughs> That's okay. no, what do you want to talk about? I, I didn't want to mention his name until I actually have a con- like a confirmation. I hear you. That he's going to be on the show. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. Um, and the other the other guy is just uh, is uh, from New York City. He's on he Netflix. A promoter. You're right. Yeah, and he, he was he was with me when I was um, when I did the Misfits tour, and he, one of the nicest guys I ever met. He 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 was really a friend to me when I was on tour when nobody else was. And uh, so, yeah, I'm hoping to get him. He, he just put a book out and just waiting for confirmation from him, too. You guys will love him. Oh, yes. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully both men are coronavirus free right now. Uh, I'm thinking they are. I'm thinking. They I are. hope so. So, Mike, once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program, being the co-host as always here. I couldn't have thought of a, a better individual than you, someone that I actually uh. trust. So. It's good you, times. You flatter me, and flattery will get you everywhere, my friend. I, sometimes it does. Not always, though. <laughs> it hasn't always worked. No, I had a great time. I had, I had a great time, and uh, thank you so much for having me, as always. And I'll see you tomorrow, buddy. You got it, my friend. I'll talk to you very soon. Okay. Good Have night. a good night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Take good night, care, everyone. buddy. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was the one and only Mike Hideous. And how... Time has flown by yet again, boys and girls. And remember, you can get a hold of me via Twitter at Michael Deacon. And of course, if you want bonus content, please direct yourselves to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. That is, of course, if you can afford the $5, maybe you want to spend those $5 on food or toilet paper. That That's okay. I understand that. But if you are a hardcore listener... Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And that's where you'll hear me one-on-one with all sorts of individuals out there. Very, very interesting individuals I talk to one-on-one. And you could check that out. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. International listeners out there, thank you so much for your support as well. I know you're out there. I get those emails. And trust me, some of them are hard to read. 
not because they're, they're the language barrier, but the message inside. It makes me um, realize that this is not just some selfish project I started long ago. There's some meaning here. And I appreciate every single one of you out there listening, especially you in the chat room. I appreciate that. It was an interesting night again, uh, night again, and we will return tomorrow. Be there, be square. And I hope all of you remain safe and COVID-19 free. Truly, I really do. Don't get sick. Remember to stop shaking hands if you haven't already. And start boosting those immune systems. It's time. Stay safe, everyone. No matter where you are on this island Earth, I'm Michael Deacon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.